Uh, we're in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 21 through 26, your, your, or excuse me, uh, 16 through 26. It says through 21, but it actually goes to uh, verse 26 today. So Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh is evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who partake, excuse me, practice such Things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, there, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us, let, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So before we jump into the, to the text, just a little background on Galatians. So essentially, Paul is writing to Galatians to reaffirm their faith. He takes a strong against against the gospel of works and defends the gospel of faith. He's defending the justification through their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Essentially, they're in a, in a uh, theo- theological crisis. So in the, in the present time, in that time, were the Judaizers. The word Judaizers, a Greek word, which means a, a living according to Jewish customs. So these Judaizers were in the region, and they were teaching that in order for a, a, a Christian to truly be right with God, that they had to conform to the Mosaic law. This meant that men had to be circumcised, and it was promoted necessary for salvation. Gentiles had to, Gentiles had to convert to Judaism first, and then they could become, uh, come to Christ. So the principle of the Judaizers was faith in Christ and works through the keeping of the law. So they're basically essentially teaching Jesus plus something, the law, versus Jesus plus nothing, faith. So in Paul's tone in the letter, it would seem that the Galatians were happy to follow along with these, uh, this, this teaching. So... Again, the shift from the gospel of faith and works would, he, he's basically saying it would hinder a person's to find their full joy in the Lord by walking in the Spirit. So if you don't, it would stifle the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he writes in Galatians 1, 6 or 7, he talks about how he marvels that they turn away so soon from the truth. Paul had planted the church in Galatia in approximately 47 A.D., and the letter to the Church of Galatians was written approximately 49 A.D., only two years later that these Judaizers came, came in and infiltrated the church and caused all this destruction. And um, so, again, he was telling them that, that there's not, they're, they're teaching you to, uh, bringing you to a different gospel, not another gospel, declaring that there is no other gospel. So it's only the gospel of, uh, through Jesus Christ alone. And he also goes on to talk about the law. He said, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. So Paul is not discrediting the law of God. 
at all. He's just basically saying that once you come into a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ, you're no longer under the tutor. So we live under the faith in Jesus. So we pick up in verse 16 and 17. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So he really cuts right to the heart here. He basically said the things that you wish, okay? The natural man, we're all born with a sin nature. The natural man is bent to sin. The natural man is is bent to and fixed on it and determined to fulfill sin in their life. So the word fulfill uh, in the Greek used here, it just means to complete, execute, conclude, accomplish, finish, or perform. So essentially, it's a really tall order. If we're going to walk in the flesh, again, Satan, it's, you're never going to be filled. There'll never be satisfaction in it. There might be temporary satisfaction, but that faction disappears, and you go after more and more and more. And any one of us who've ever been in that situation can attest to that. So he says, walk in the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit is that picture of an action. As a Christian, we need to actually take that step to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means to open, be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life and take action and obey. It also means a pattern of life after the influence of the Holy Spirit. So once that pattern develops in your life, walk in it and continue in it, okay? So again, the flesh less against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. So this is at war with each other. They're at war with each other within the inner man. This is the truth of every Christian, any one of us. Um, knows that battle in our lives. So it's a war because we have the Holy Spirit. One that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not at war with it. They just continue on with it, okay? So the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to one another, meaning they're complete opposites. So the only thing they really have in common is that the effect that they want to have on a man, okay? The lust wants to have an effect on a man, and the Holy Spirit really wants to have that effect on a man too, the different effect, the Holy Spirit in their lives. So... Again, um, what lust does, it, it, it's contrary to what the Spirit brings, and what the Spirit offers is contrary to what the lust offers and the, what, what the lust draws them to. So again, we've heard, all heard the term opposites attract. In this case, opposites don't attract. They can never attract in the life of a Christian. Okay, So we can never have the Spirit and, walk in the, and, and, and fulfill the lust of the flesh. So again, the flesh will never push you to seek God and walk uprightly. And the Spirit will never draw you to pursue fleshly things for pleasure and pushing you to sin against God and yourself. Never. Verse 18, Paul says again, but, I, but again, if you are, but if you are led by the Spirit, you, will, uh, you are not under the law. So it's basically we don't need to be under the law because the, uh, we fulfill, the, fulfill God's wish by being, having the indwelling of our Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us, so the law does not have to control our actions. So we're influenced by the inner spirit instead of the outer appearance of the law. So again, to be led of the Spirit, we need to and walk in the Spirit. We must first have the Holy Spirit in our lives. John uh, 16, 7 and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It's 
kind of an odd thing. It's not an odd thing to say. It's kind of a, something for us to, to really, we all want to be in the presence of Jesus, amen? But he says it's to your advantage that I go away. So the advantage here meant that the presence and work of the Holy Spirit would actually be better for believers than the physical bodily presence of Jesus Christ. The withdrawal of the bodily presence of Jesus Christ is essential, uh, is the essential condition for the Spirit to come to us. So it's to our advantage that Jesus went away. 2 Corinthians 2, 20 and 20, uh, through 22. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. For all the promises of God are in him, yes, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God uh, through, uh, through us. Now he who establishes, who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He who... Has all, or he has also sealed you and uh, sealed us and given us the Spirit in our uh, in our hearts as a guarantee. So essentially, the Holy Spirit guarantees that we will receive eternal life. In fact, when we believe, we are marked in Him with the seal, the prom- the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit, essentially a guarantee of inheritance. That deposit really is the Holy Spirit working in us. Right, So it's that sense that I, I give you the Holy Spirit. And again, it's the person and work of the Holy Spirit that assures us. So if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, is working in your life, speaks to your life, that's your assurance of salvation. I've heard people all the time, you're asked that question, do you know that you know that you know that you have given your life to Christ? And when the enemy puts that down in my mind, and he has, or when I've fallen short or I've sinned against God, I think, do I really know God? Well, I know that in times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. He's given me a word of wisdom. He's given me a, a, a good word for a brother. And he speaks into my heart, which is my assurance of my salvation. So if the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you, lead you, and direct you, you have the, the assurance of your salvation. Always keep that in mind. Verses 19 and 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, or envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, the works of the flesh are really the manifestation of what an individual desires, which is lust. So often when we use the word lust, I know with me all the time, or when we use the word lust, the idea of sexual sin comes up in our heads. And we have to remember that lusts are other things as well, okay? But um, in these manifestations, Paul lists out sexual sin. He absolutely does, but he also uh, lays out a somewhat extensive list of 17 other items, of 17 items, which are 17 categories encompassing a multitude of subcategories, Sin is not just things, but sin is related to these things as well. And then he does this thing, and he, sh- and he adds, and the like. So he's talking about similar things, things that look like sin, okay? So, again, things that border the appearance of sin. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. So if we're in our liberty and walking with Christ, are doing things that may look like sin to someone else, or that you have that conviction that it might be sin, right? He's basically, what we need to be doing 
is abstain from it, okay? So if we're saying, well, you know, this is bordering, you know, whether it's drinking uh, um, excessively, uh, whatever it is, you know, be hanging around the wrong people or doing the wrong, you know, I guess we, de- we definitely need to hang around the wrong people sometimes in order to share the gospel. But if it looks like you're following that crowd, then we really need to pray about it. We need to abstain from those things, okay? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 3 says, For you are still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul's writing this to the Corinthians who felt that they were a spiritual people. But he's noting the fact that the divisions among them showed that they were fleshly and that their human relationships with each other proved that they had that there was something wrong in their relationship to God. So it was evidence of carnality, that their, their fleshly way of thinking and living. So divisions, envy, and strife among the the uh, Christians are not the only sign of fleshliness, as we read, but it was the signs that the Corinthians were showing. So behaving like mere men, behaving like mere men is, as a Christian is not being an unsafe. A mere man is not an unsafe man, okay, as a Christian. But he's saying that they blurred the lines and they looked like unbelievers, okay? And so we have to kind of keep that in mind that yeah, there's been times where Lisa and I have been somewhere and, and we, um, someone's very kind and they just really seem like they have joy in them. And, and you talk to them and sometimes Lisa will go, oh, I bet you they're a Christian. You know? And then we'll walk out in the parking lot together or whatever and they, their car, the back of their car is a bumper stick that coexists or they've got the, the Darwin thing with the legs coming out, eating the, you know. And it's like, oh, well, maybe they're not. Well, then you're in line and you see someone who's having a hard time and they're just really agitated and they're rude and they're just, and, you know, and I'm just saying, this is my wife. She I think they need Jesus. <laughs> and then you go out in the parking lot together and there's the ichthys, the fish and the, the, you know, I mean, Lord is God or whatever the bump stickers are, you know. Um, so it's this things where we blur the lines as Christians and we look like mere men. And we can't be doing that. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of, of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We need to get that. Okay, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the only unpardonable sin, meaning you will not be led of the Holy Spirit to call on Christ. Grieving the Holy Spirit is having the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you don't obey the Holy Spirit. You don't obey the promptings and the convictions of the Holy Spirit. This is what they were doing in their evidence in their walk with God there. I know in my life, there's been many times that the Holy Spirit has said, you need to do this, and I haven't. And he sends someone else to do it. You need to pray this, and I don't. And someone else prays for it. There's been times in my life where the Holy Spirit said, don't do this, and I've done it. And it's been disastrous. And it really has destroyed my witness among people in the past so we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need not grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. Philippians 1.27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So one mind, again, for the same purpose, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let the evidence of your life bring the gospel to life. 
Okay? So, again, if we're going to share the gospel with people and we're going to say we're a Christian and we want to lead people to Christ, right, our conduct needs to be worthy of the gospel. We cannot preach the gospel and they say, and you're a Christian? So we need to have that in mind. So verse 21, um, he says, in, after all the list of these lusts of the flesh, he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, not inheriting the kingdom of God is not the fate of a struggling Christian. Okay, know that. If you're struggling with such things, pray, ask the Lord for strength, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, okay? It's not the fate of a struggling Christian, but it is the fate who someone who practices and has no relationship with God. When we practice, we want to get better at something, right? Practice is to continue on in something. So this is someone who absolutely doesn't have God. It's a person who has not been cleansed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. There's a... Uh, kind of a new teaching I've heard. I've heard it on, from three different pastors, and, and I don't remember who, and I just it's just stuff that's on the radio or stuff that I've seen, and they basically talk about that inheritance of the kingdom of God is really exercising the, um, the rewards that God is going to give us in heaven, that we're saved by grace through faith, that that's going to put you in heaven, which, which we know that that's true, but it's that saying that the inheritance is being able to to exercise the rewards in heaven. And this is not true, okay? This is not what Paul is saying here, okay? Really, it's like telling someone, all you have to do is just be a Christian to get into heaven, which is true. You know, like I said, you can call on the Lord at the last minute of your life, and that's true. But to give that kind of theology to someone who's struggling, who may not be a Christian and thinks they are, and then they find Jesus saying at the end, depart from me, those who practice lawlessness. So it is really a discredit to Christianity, a discredit what Paul is saying when you say those things. I haven't seen it, so it's just something that I've, that I've heard, and it's something we need to be aware of, that this is the type of teaching that's going on there. The Revelation 21, 27 says, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall enter or shall come into it, meaning heaven but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we need to know that, and we need to encourage others to know that. So we observe that sin is called the works of the flesh because the flesh is a person's corrupt nature, and again, their desire. So Paul again writes, and I say then, walk in the Spirit, verse 16, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when a person has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the new desire takes place in them. It's not a desire for the flesh. It's a desire to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts that desire in us, okay? So, um, again, that's where the war takes place in the life of the Christian, the life of the believer. So it's a fitting term used, the fruit of the Spirit, because it exclusively proceeds from the Spirit of God. Okay, John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me... And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So spiritual fruit shows that we are indeed tethered to God, okay? That God is, is our Lord and Savior, that his fingerprints are woven all through the fabric of a Christian life, okay? That's, that's what the fruit is supposed to produce. It produces victory over sin, and it gives us the liberty to walk freely in Christ, 
and not walk in the world. We have that right to walk in Christ and push away the things of the world, okay? Verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So these are indeed godly characteristics. These are God's characteristics in the fruit that he wants to impart in the life of every believer, okay? The godly, these godly attributes are meant to take root in the inner person and cause them to be more in line with God and that it should manifest it outwardly to others for the glory of God. John seven thirty eight and 39 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, tor- uh, will flow rivers of water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified, right? So, so we read earlier that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to us when he departs that to come into the heart of those who put faith in him. But now he promises that the Holy Spirit is going to do much in the life of the Christian, that out of them will flow uh, rivers of water, torrents of living water. So we are going to produce much fruit. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do as long as we yield to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10, By grace you have been saved by faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, walking in the good works, taking that active step to actually do them. You know, it's one thing that you think about in, in workmanship. When someone creates a piece of workmanship, or other, other translations say masterpiece, so really workmanship is a masterpiece. When you create something, what do you do with it? You want to show it off, Right? And quite often, a masterpiece is on display for all the people to see. So God says, you are my masterpiece. We're created to do those good works. And guess what? As Christians, we are on display to the other, other Christians and to non-believers. Often a non-believer is saying, I think as a Christian, you would have been more like this. Or I could tell that you're a Christian by the way you were talking or the way you were acting. So we are on display. A masterpiece is on display. We can identify it. We can identify a masterpiece, not because we've seen it, but by the style of a masterpiece, okay? I remember one time I was in a, a gallery. It was called the Red Tree Gallery in Atascadero talking to one of the owners, and I was talking about, you know, I never really considered art and being able to identify it by someone's, the way they created it. And I was looking around the room and the Red Tree Gallery, and this person's art is all about red trees and with backgrounds and suns and all that stuff. And I go, oh, that's, that. put it in my mind, I can identify this guy's art anywhere around the world. Anywhere I can go, I said, oh, and his name was Ron Rogers. Oh, that's a Ron Rogers painting. So again, God wants to, it's to be identified as Christians, as believers. So Matthew five sixteen it says, let your light so shine before men that you may see, uh, that you may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is the work within us that comes out because we know God. It's the evidence that we have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So when we talk about fruit, remember Paul is writing, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So it's not like 
spiritual gifts, which are varying gifts, different gifts that God gives to a person at the right time for the right need to edify the church, to show God's, uh, um, that, that manifested in, in back in the time. And, it, and the spiritual gifts are for today as well, but they are different gifts. Okay, he's saying the fruit of the Spirit. So picture this not like a fruit basket with different type of fruits. I love fruit, but there's certain fruits I don't like. Okay? And when we think of it as like a cluster of grapes, we can say that's fruit. There's many grapes on there, but it's one fruit. So we can't say in the fruit of the Spirit that, well, I have patience, but I really don't have kindness, or I'm a kind person, but I don't have patience. Okay? So God wants to give us the whole fruit. He wants to do all of these things inside of us that show us that we are his, okay? So we can't pick and choose. So we come here to love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Last week, if you guys weren't here, um, Steve gave a, just a really anointed message on love. It was beautiful. And if you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it, grab a CD from the foyer, his notes on the um, Last week's teaching in Romans 13 are out on the, the kid check area. So I would encourage you to do that. It was a great lead-in to this, this week. So, again, there are different types of love that we see in Scripture. We see eros, which refers to a romantic sexual kind of love. We see storge love, which refers to a, familiar, a, a family type of love, where a mother for a child, a brother for a sister, husband and wife type of love. And then we see phileo love, which refers to friendship or camaraderie, which is a lot of what we share here. But often that love is like, hey, I love you because you love me. It's a lot easier to hang around someone that loves you, right? When you know that someone's in the room that doesn't like you or doesn't love you, it's hard to be you. So again, this is the love, not, not exactly the love God's talking about. He's talking about agape love, which is, again, God's love, a divine love, or a godly love. So God's love that, that he has for the world that every Christian is supposed to emulate, okay? It's fitting that Paul, again, begins with the word love in the beginning of these fruit of the Spirit because, really, love overarches. It's like the banner over all of these fruits, these pieces of fruit, attributes of fruit. If I say fruits, it's not because of, it's my mistake. <laughs> but it's a banner over all this fruit, and we could say the eight remaining characteristics describe what love really is. Okay? So they all come from the position of love. And to be able to walk in love, um, that we need to know what God's love is. John 3.16, we all know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, this is God loves because he loves, right? So essentially it's God's love, his action, because he loves his character and who he is. And as Christians, we are to emulate that type of love. So we are to love, meaning our action, because of love, God's love in us, okay? Through the spirit of God. So we are to love in that kind of way. Mark 12, 30 through 31, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. So we are commanded to love God. Why? Because we'll know God's love if we do. But it's not a forced love. Okay? It's a desired love. But it, it, God will create that desire in us to love him if, we, if, we, if we're commanded to do it. Again, we're supposed to love God with every part of our being and, being and pursue him in that love. Okay? So when we know about his love, only then can we obey the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody look to your right. Now look to your left. <laughs> There's your neighbor. All right? Here's the deal. It's really a, a national. It's a person of the same nation, that kind of a thing. We are to love everybody we come in contact with. Okay? Your neighbor is just not the guy that lends you a tool down the road. Okay? Your neighbor is anybody you come in contact with. And this is God's love. Okay? John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this that uh, to lay down one's life for his friend. Again, nobody can love their friend as far as Jesus took love. And we know that, right? Philippians 2, 7 said that he made no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men. Jesus loved us to lay down his deity and his reputation so that he'd become a bondservant to serve men, Okay. So this pattern of his life of lowliness and sacrifice, so we should lay aside our needs and sacrifice them for another. Okay, First John 4, 7 through 13. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love, excuse me, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, ha- might live through him. In that, this is love. Not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this verse really is knowing love through God's love, Okay. And it's also in loving because God loved us. John goes on to write this in verse 12 and 13. He says, no one has seen God at any time, but if you love uh, one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. But this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There's a commentator by the name of Albert Barnes that I, I saved this and it's always been in my Bible. It's on a sticky note. Um, and it's something I always remember, says, how can a man love God who does not love those who bear his image? That person you're struggling to love has the image, is the image of God. That person that you dislike has the image of God. That person that you're indifferent to because perhaps they're a little quirky or their personality is kind of off or strange and we avoid them, that person bears the image of God. So we are to love with that kinds of love. Our love is not perfect. We know that. But God's love is. So we must strive to, for that godly love. Romans 9, um, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. 
patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. So, in other words, in love, act like a Christian. And in the way we love, okay, we are to hate evil and do the rest. So, remove evil and do the rest. If we do this, it takes away hypocritical love, okay? So, how many of us have ever said or heard, hey, I love so-and-so, but, and then we go on to talk about them? Or someone comes to you and says, hey, I love so-and-so, but, and then we begin to listen to them, okay? But ultimately, what it needs to say is, hey, I love so-and-so, but I need to stop here because I don't want to bring any dissension between you and my brother cause you to dislike my brother. I need to stop gossiping. I need to stop saying that. So we, if we love our brother and sister, we need to love them in that kind of way. So it removes that hypocritical kind of love. So we are called to take on the likeness of Christ through his spirit, developing his character, thereby reflecting his true love. And he goes on to say in Galatians, uh, verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty for the opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we are to serve one another in the body of Christ. Joy. The fruit of the spirit is joy. John fifteen eleven. And these things I have spoken to you that you are that that my joy may be remain in you and that your joy may be full. So we know what Jesus was speaking was abiding in his love and abiding in his commandments. Okay? He wanted us to experience the same love that he experienced from the Father. If we love him and we obey him and keep his commandments, we will experience his fullness of joy. Jesus, Jesus wanted them to experience the same joy he experienced when he obeyed his father. So again, if we abide, we will experience the fullness of joy and abiding with no regrets. And in abiding, all there is is a blessing on the other end. Do what's right and God affirms you in it. John 16, 24, until now you have, not, or you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive uh, that your joy may be full. Again, Jesus' Jesus's promise in regarding um, the coming of access to God through his Holy Spirit after his departure. The disciples have not yet prayed in Jesus' name yet. Okay? But he says, when you do and you pray in my name, your, pr- your, your prayers will be answered. And those answered prayers bring much joy. So I know that when I have prayed uh, and my prayers have been answered, I receive God's joy. I'm joyful about it. I know there's times when I pray for something and he gives me a different answer. I don't really experience in my own flesh I don't experience the joy but there's joy in that weather or as well because God knows what he wants for you and he wants for your good so he may answer your prayer differently again than what you ask I know all of us in this room have prayed and had an answered prayer okay if we ask in Jesus name Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, therefore, he also sent, or, or therefore, also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, and, that, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't look at the cross and the brutalness of the cross as joy, but he looked beyond the cross. 
he knew that his death after death had to come resurrection, and he was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. And through that resurrection and believing upon him, we have eternal life. It's the joy that his joy was going to be our joy in coming to know Christ. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy is brought to the fullness. Our joy is brought to the fullness when we accept God's provision of grace, right? Through faith and stand in his righteousness. So our joy really unites us with God. And at many times when we have joy, it reunites us with God, okay? So we have to remember that we need to to see things in a joyful way. Just like we see here in Acts 16, 23, 25, when Paul and Silas were put in prison and they were beaten and put in prison and they were put in the, and it basically says, well, I'll just read it. And when they had laid many stripes on them, uh, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison, meaning for the, for the worst criminals, right? In the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening. So in the, middle, in the midst of their affliction, in the midst of being in prison, these prisons were not like our prisons today. These prisons today are like five-star hotels compared to those prisons. They were filthy with disease. When they defecated, it was right there where they were. It was just horrible, okay? And there was a lot of, like, just a lot of suffering in these prisons. So in the midst of it, again, they prayed or, and they had joy. They were singing hymns to God. This was the joy of the Lord in them, okay? And again, the other prisoners were listening. So when we have joy, other people are listening, right? And we know that this goes on to say that jailer and his family had given their life to Christ through this. So in spite of our conditions, we need to have that joy. Peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. So while this peace can bring an end to quarreling and fighting, the peace that really Paul is talking about is the peace that, in, that exists within us in the midst of strife, quarreling, fighting, in the midst of trials and tribulations. It's that inner peace that we have. Romans 5.1, that peace can only come through peace in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Thou now having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So again, because of Jesus' perfect work on the cross, our debts are paid in full, Right? God's justice towards us has been satisfied through Jesus Christ for eternity, okay? And the peace that allows us, this peace allows us to have, again, access to God and his Holy Spirit. Again, although the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, it still came at a price, and that was through the cross. Colossians 3, 14 and 15, but above all things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule your heart, to which also you were called uh, in one body to be thankful. So again, this bond of perfection we know is love, um, and God is love, and this is what God requires of our relationships, okay? But the peace that Paul is describing is indeed an inner peace, but it is also an outer peace that blesses a community of people, okay? So we are to... Let have the peace of God rule our hearts so that we can be peaceful amongst those who we are around. And this is what God requires for us in the church here is, that, is to have that peace with one another. So still peace in a person's life that's governed and manifested 
by the Spirit of God and is motivated by love. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you the peace always in every way. The Lord will be with you all. So this is the Lord's peace. We know that man's peace is temporary peace, okay? The Lord's peace is lasting peace. It says, let your peace come from the author of peace, which is God himself, okay? That's where we're to receive our peace. We should allow God's peace to bring us comfort in times of persecution and strife because he wants to give it to us, so we need to allow it. The only time we don't receive peace, our peace is when we are hard-hearted and we won't allow God to speak it into our lives. John's 14, or John 14, 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I, that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my, leave you my peace I give you, not what the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus gives us not the Holy Spirit, but he promised to give us the gift of peace. But it's his peace. It's not the world's peace. Like I said, a world's peace is, is, is governed by treaties that are broken by men. They're, they're handshakes that don't mean anything, but that used to mean something, okay? The peace of Israel and trying to bring peace to Israel are treaties with other nations that are really meant to weaken Israel, okay, and to, to bring Israel to their destruction. But God's going to protect Israel. That's why Israel's not so easy in making these peace treaties. So, again, we've seen peace treaties and things broken all the time. So, again, this is man's peace. Philippians 4, 7, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice always. Again, I will, I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding and guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Again, this is a higher peace. When we ask God through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, it tends to help us pray without being whiny. It really, when we give thanks to God first and we pray, it's really a, a closer prayer with God, okay? And it brings that higher peace. It's that peace that's beyond human understanding. So his peace brings a calmness to the heart, which stems from the awareness that all of our events are in God's hands. This whole situation is in God's hands, and that's the peace that comes to you. How many of us have ever been through a situation where we didn't lose our peace? And people are like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't get mad. Well, that's that peace that surpasses all understanding. Or we reflect back on something and say, man, in this situation, I, I don't know why you had such peace. It's God's peace. Okay? We don't understand it because it surpasses all understanding. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So this describes a person who overcomes evil with good. Um, one who brings peace to a lost soul by presenting the gospel that allows that person to make peace with God by accepting Christ. So God's reward for the peacemaker is that they will be recognized as true, a true child of God because they share in God's same desire, which is reconciling people to him. Okay? So they, again, they will be called sons of God. Long-suffering. 
The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, which is patience. Patience, however, is the capability to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry or upset. Long-suffering definition is having or showing extended patience in spite of troubles, especially those who cause trouble that's caused by people, okay, and in its extended peace. So this patience is to defer anger and have, be, have contentedness and to bear injuries. So we need to be content in those things. It's a long temper. One who can uh, hold their temper in a very long, for a very long time. I didn't grow up in a home like this. My dad was, had a quick temper. It wasn't an extended temper, but it was a quick temper. The type of thing was like his reaction was boom. You know, I remember my dad used to come home from work, and we'd be, I'd be like nervous. What's he going to find wrong? We had seven kids in the house. That'll try your patience. Okay? Six boys, in fact, and one girl. But that'll try your patience. Oddly, my sister tried my parents' patience more than we did. But anyhow. (laughs) We had a quick temper. And I did not start out by raising my family this way either. I had a quick temper. Again, not an extended temper, but a quick temper. And those things haunt me. And I think back at them, and I thought, I'd look at my little kids' faces in my mind, and it just really... But I know I'm forgiven for those things. And the beauty is whenever I receive Father's Day cards or birthday cards, it's always in there, thank you for being a godly example. They've known me most of my Christian life, okay? So most of my life, them has been a Christian man. I'm thankful to hear those words and that they don't hold those things against me and they don't dwell on those things. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but it's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, again, God will keep his promise without delay according to his timing and not our timing. Okay? And this delay is attributed to his long-suffering that God wants, and wants to allow all men to repent. Okay? So he's giving the, the time to repent. Again, thankful, patience is limited, uh, was limited to... Um, to the summer of 1998. In fact, this month, 24 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. And if God had not had long suffering and came back before then, I would have perished in my own righteousness. I was Catholic, but that's where I hung my salvation. But I would have perished. I wouldn't have known the Lord. So I'm thankful that he waited that long. I'm also thankful to see so many other people I know who have come to Christ, people that have been, I've witnessed to and other people have witnessed to. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys are newer believers, but thank the Lord for his long suffering that you had that time. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So James' statement really is considering that trials are inevitable, right? Jesus says in this world we're going to suffer tribulation, right? Trials are an occasion for joy because they produce patience, godly patience, okay? Again, trials don't produce faith. They test faith, all right? So we count it all joy even if our faith lacked, even if we didn't have patience. Count it all joy because it revealed something in us that we need to have more of, faith. And we need to have joy when God proves that our faith was there, 
right? So joy comes in both circumstances, knowing that God wants to do that perfect work in us. Romans 8, 28, and, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So although we face sufferings in the, pleasant, in the present time, God has the ability to make those sufferings work together for his good and our good. So we need to be patient with God in allowing him to do that, not in our time, but in his time, okay? He wants, again, to work that good together for good for us and him, okay? So one commentator writes here, uh, actually it's Martin Luther, says long-suffering is the work of the Holy Spirit. Long-suffering is the quality which enables a person to bear adversity, injury, reproach, and makes them patient to wait for the improvement of those who have done him wrong. When the devil finds that he cannot overcome certain persons by force, he tries to overcome them in the long run. To withstand his continued assault, we must be long-suffering and patiently wait for the devil to get tired of his game. Kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Titus 3, 4-7. But when kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which... We have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us that are through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So when we were all in a place of rebellion against God, steep, deep in sin, following after the lusts of the flesh, There was nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. There is nothing we can do to redeem ourselves, right? We can't rescue ourselves, but it was, we were rescued by the kindness and the love of God, okay? He says, because of God's kindness, he sent his son. Through his kindness, he uh, extended his mercy. Because of his kindness and his love, he is always the one to extend his hand of reconciliation and grace, Always, and that's due to his kindness. Again, another attribute of God. Isaiah 54, 7 through 8, or 7 and 8, for a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He's speaking to Israel, but really for us as well too, God's kindness is an everlasting kindness. Okay, and it's again his character. So in times we might feel a little forsaken. Okay, God might hide his face for just a moment, but we must know that it's just a moment. And again, just around the corner is because of his everlasting kindness. Again, a blessing soon follows. Okay, God doesn't hide his face from us forever, but he might let us go through something for a time. So out of his kindness of his heart, compassion, he redeems our mistakes and he redeems our failures, okay? True kindness extends the same to those who may not uh, be able to give anything back. At the same time, they may not deserve it, and frequently, they don't even say thank you. So true kindness just needs to extend no matter what. So we have to keep that in mind. Goodness, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness really is an extension of kindness, they're much the same. A lot of times they lump these two together. But really, goodness shows itself in the readiness 
to do good, right? And uh, when we have the opportunity. So when the opportunity arises, goodness allows us to do it. It's a benevolent type of goodness. I don't know, most of you guys probably know what benevolence is, but benevolence really is kind of putting something aside for the opportunity to use it. For instance, uh, the church has a benevolence fund, and we put money into that benevolence fund so that when someone comes and says, hey, we're in a time of need, and we need a, we need a handout, we need help, okay? We don't go and say, well, let's take a look at our tithe this week and see what it was. Let's look at our finances. What bills do we have coming up? That money is set aside for the purpose of going, yes, okay? And that's what it's there for. We should all have that kind of benevolence in our mindset, in our homes. So essentially what we're doing is we're giving the things which we have that others have need of, okay? This includes time, time for somebody. We need to say, you know, I want to set aside time this week for someone who has time, who needs time. Quite often people say, hey, Ron, do you have time to chat? Well, I look at my schedule. I do. It's It's just the way it is. But... I always want to be able to have set. That's the best blessing of being able to make your own schedule is that you can make time for people. Sometimes that's all people need is your time, okay? So goodness, again, is much like kindness. Goodness also has the idea of that generosity. Goodness is driven by kindness and love and produces a giving. giving. So, again, kindness lived out. Psalm 139, 17 and 18, it says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great are the sum of them. If I should count them, they would, they would number more than the sands. When I awake, I am still with you. So again, these are God's thoughts towards us, not just of us, but towards us. So if God has thoughts towards us, there's an intendedness, and that's to keep us, and that's to bless us. If we think about it in the sense that God, basically every breath of our life comes from God, and every heartbeat comes from God, if God were to stop thinking about us for a split second, we would die. So this is an idea that God is continual. They outnumber the sands, right? That his thoughts are continual. They're always there. His thoughts are meant to bring us a blessing. His thoughts towards us are precious, as it says. His, uh, God is generous with his thoughts, as it says. And it truly shows the goodness of God. Again, his characteristic, his attribute, faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Psalm 119, 89 through 90, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth and it abides. So oftentimes, we know men try to settle the word of God, okay? They might do it through a little round table thinking. They might do it according to their own hearts, their own desires, their own lifestyle. Instead of being inspired by the word of God, they really conspire against the word of God often. And they want to change the meaning of God, right? And the meaning of God's word. So man always tries to redefine the word of God. Well, this is what this means. Have The psalmist here is focused on the unchanging nature of God, God's word. Because it is settled in heaven, it will not be changed on earth. So adhere to the word of God because it's true. It doesn't change. Don't allow it to change uh, don't allow the word of God to change your heart. Let the, God, the word of God allow, be allowed to change your thinking. So we have to think according to God's word. So he also stated that the settled word of God is a demonstration of God's faithfulness. Okay, Because it's faithfulness of God, it extends to all generations, to everyone. 
generations before us, our generation, and the generation to come. Okay? So Hebrews uh, 10.23 says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So God is faithful. It's a lot better. Um, we can trust in God because his word is true. He is true. He's faithful. And we can stand firm in our faith because of it. It's much better to trust in God's faithfulness than our own faithfulness. Okay? So if we trust in our own faithfulness, it'll fail us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God does not leave us exposed to sin. We do that on our own, okay? But what God promises is to limit it according to our capability and endure it according to our capability as we rely on him, okay? Not as the capability as we rely on ourselves. So walking in the fruit of the Spirit is what we do so that God can show himself faithful to assist us and that we may not fulfill those lusts of the flesh. So he won't let us be tempted beyond that. So no one can ever say, well, God, you didn't see this one coming because it says that nobody is tempted, right, uh, that um, no, no temptation is overtaken except such that is common to man. Every sin is common to man. So God, nothing occurs to God. He doesn't say that when did, I didn't see that one coming, Ron. He knows. Okay? So, um, in return, in God's faithfulness to us, our faithfulness to God is that we are to love him with all our, with all our heart, with all our mind, and all our soul and strength. So faithfulness is a result of the Spirit working in us. Faithfulness simply means fidelity to God. It's fidelity to somebody else, okay? True faith makes a man or woman faithful to God and to others, right? A Christian man or woman will be faithful to others, faithful to, the word, uh, to their word and promises. You ever broken a promise? You ever had a promise broken? <laughs> I know what it feels like, and I, and I know what, it, what, it's, what it's like to do it. A man or woman who can be trusted and confided in. Faithfulness is believing that God is who he says he is and continuing to believe it despite of the trials of life and all your afflictions and all that you go through. You believe that God is who he says he is, okay? This means that we trust God and what the Bible says. Gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, which is meekness. This is where we allow the Spirit um, to rule over our passions, okay? This is, not, this is someone who's not easily provoked. This is a teachable spirit, not always a teaching spirit. Yes, it's good to teach, but in order to be able to teach, we need to have a teachable spirit, okay? So we need to have a gentle spirit towards God so that he can teach us or that we can hear from another brother and sister, a brother or sister, it, it is, it, it, it's the power one's personality is, uh, that, that is properly controlled. So William Barclay said, it, it is the quality of the man who is always angry at the right time and never at the wrong time. So we need to know that uh, you know, God, God gives us and, and, and shows us those times and we are supposed to be less gentle. 
So again, Jesus modeled this gentleness in Matthew 11, 28, and 29. when so he says, Come to me, all you labor and are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, or lowly in heart, and you will find rest to uh, your souls. So the Holy Spirit gentleness has its purpose, again, to reflect godly gentleness and to draw people to the love of God, okay? So uh, Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So a man meek towards God is to submit to his will and conform to his word. A man meek towards men is to, is to be strong, yet also humble, gentle, patient, and long-suffering. I need to move it along here. First Timothy uh, 2, 4, and 5, it says, And a servant of the Lord must be, not be quarrelsome and, uh, and gentle to all. So as much, it's much more appealing to approach somebody with a gentle nature. It's much more appealing to us when someone approaches us in a gentle way. Uh, Romans 2, 4 talks about the goodness of God leading people to repentance. Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We all know that the Spirit, um, that there's self-discipline, in denial, so when we have self-discipline, it's generally, generally some type of exercise diet, which is supposed to bring, you know, a benefit to our person. Okay, much is the same with self-control, and led of the spirit can do the same, but it's also on the behalf of others. When we show self-control, it is again showing that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and it's manifested outwardly to others. Self-control. Um, is by the influence and work of the Holy Spirit that we have victory over excessive indulgence, improper desires, improper actions, whether it's anger, whatever it is, that we have self-control over that. Because self-control in our lives not only can hurt, will never hurt us, but self-control will never hurt somebody else. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 27 says, But I discipline my body to bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others myself should not become disqualified. So Paul's basically saying that this, the, body, the desires of his body will not rule over him and his inner person. That the body is a servant to him, his inner person led by the Holy Spirit. And again, disqualification um, is not losing salvation. It's being disqualified uh, positionally to do the work of the Lord. So if the body and the flesh rules over a man, his inner person... And he is now a slave to the body. Okay? So again, it destroys our Christian witness. But in the disqualification, the Lord's going to do that. He's going to move people out of ministry. He's going to move people from pulpits, pastors from pulpits, because of lack of self-control. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, again, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and then 23, gentleness, self-control, against there is no, such there is no law. No law brings out the fruit of the Spirit. The law cannot bring this fruit. Again, these are attributes of God, okay? The law cannot govern the fruits of the Spirit. So laws govern things. It tells you how fast you can go, how far you can go, where you can go. So there's nothing, no law that governs the fruit of the Spirit. So we can never say, I can only love someone so much. Or I'm about to lose my patience with this person, okay? Or, you know, they stole my joy or whatever. So we're putting that limit on the fruit of the Spirit, all right? Not, not, not anything else. And those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, this isn't saying that we're crucified with Christ, although we are. This verse is saying that one who is indeed a Christian 
then that person has made a decision to nail the flesh to the cross of Calvary and now are Christ's. Okay? It's saying that we have obtained, we haven't complained, uh, excuse me, we haven't obtained complete victory because we still live in these mortal bodies. Okay? We still have flesh inside us. Praise the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit. Luke 23, or Luke 9, 23, then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So again, when one crucifies his flesh daily, he no longer lets sin reign in his mortal body. Okay? 20, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This just means be in direct line with the Holy Spirit. This just means let everything line up with the Spirit. And this also means keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If they move, you move. Okay, if the Holy Spirit moves, you move. You move with the Holy Spirit. And the last verse, 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So guys, when you have spiritual fruit, don't compare your fruit basket to somebody else. Say, look how full my fruit basket is compared to your fruit. Don't become conceited. When the Holy Spirit is doing that work in your life, count it joy that he is, but don't boast over it as if you're more uh, spiritual than other people. It's too easy to become puffed up when the, work is, when the Lord is doing a work in your life, okay? You can provoke someone to anger. It can provoke somebody to jealousy. And it can provoke someone to feeling inferior than you, stifling the Holy Spirit in their life as well. So we are not to envy the fruit of the Lord. The Lord is producing in someone's life. We're only to rejoice in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, we'll have the one last worship song here. Let's pray and, uh, and um, worship team will come up. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you again, Lord God, for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for, again, your word here today, Father. We just, I do pray, Lord, it was rightly divided, it was received, Lord, and that, uh, Lord, that we were strengthened and edified by your word as well, Lord God. Father, we just want um, the Spirit your Holy Spirit, to govern our lives, Lord God, that we would be sensitive to it from the moment we wake, Lord God, that we would hear the promptings of your Holy Spirit and, again, follow, because that glorifies you, Lord. Lord, when we ask the Spirit to do the work in our life, again, it produces a walk that we can deny the the lust of the flesh. And, Father, I just pray that for every person here who suffers in this type of area, who may not fully allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. I just pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen them right now. Lord, that you would put your healing touch on their lives and on their body, Father God, that they can turn from that sin and walk a separate another way. I pray that for every one of us who are tempted in any way, Lord God, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. We just thank you for our time here today, and I just pray that if anybody in here doesn't know you, Lord, that today they would make that choice for you, Lord God that if they stand here and say, I don't think I have the fruit of the Spirit, that they would ask you in their life, Lord God, and that they would be given that gift of the Spirit so that they can live a life, Lord God, that would glorify you. And, Lord God, that they would have eternity in heaven. So we just thank you and praise you, Lord God, for this time, and we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
His grace is indeed amazing, huh? Hey, let's walk in that, you guys, and thank you for your attentiveness and just your listening and just praise the Lord. We have about 30 or 25 minutes before the next service, so hang around and fellowship. So God bless you.